So where do the checks get routed to? <laughs> I don't exactly know. Nobody ever asked me that before. <laughs> Shaw's been planning to beat your game for months. He's just been waiting for you to cheat him so he could clip you. Who do you think you're talking to, Aaron Boy? Nobody sets me up. listening to I Saw in a Movie, a movie advice podcast co-hosted by your friendly cinematic pals at Movie John. I am the old sport and classic coroner Rosalie Kix, and this is my film pal, Ryan Silverstein. And each episode, we take a question from our listeners and go to the movies for the answer. So before we get to the question, we like to share what we've been watching lately. Uh, so Ryan, what's your flick pick this week? Sure. Uh, I recently saw uh, Kelly Reichardt's new film, First Cow. Oh, I cannot wait to see that. Um, yeah, it premiered, I think, at Telluride last year. Um, but That sounds right. Yeah, but it's it's finally coming. I was disappointed that it wasn't at uh, the Philadelphia Film Festival last fall, uh, but I was excited that A24 is putting it out. Because um, okay. they, they do a decent job, I think, of getting, you know, stranger movies to the masses. Um, yes, definitely. And I am usually a fan of what they're putting out. Same. And I I like what they put out, even if I don't enjoy the movie itself, if that makes sense. No, it does. Yeah, because I, I feel like sometimes you watch films by them and it may not be like your cup of tea, but... It's just, I'm glad to see that it got out there, yeah. that it got distributed. Exactly. And that people got to see it and and everything. So I, I was a big fan of Kelly Reichardt's uh, previous movie, Certain Women. I don't think I've seen that one. Um, so that did get released on Criterion. I'm not sure if it's streaming on the channel or not. But it's, uh, it's a series of uh, short stories about women who live in Montana. Um, and this is a very different movie. Uh, this is a period piece about two. It's actually a- appropriate for today's question, um, but it's about two small-time crooks living on the Oregon frontier. Um, and the titular first cow has been brought into this territory. Um, and yeah, they. There's a scheme that's hatched that involves the cow. Um, and it's just kind of a nice, like, it's it's like a nice crime movie. I don't know. It's The premise is very uh, Coen Brothers-esque, but the... Oh, I like that. Yeah, and it's the, but it's not their, like, style of dialogue where the movie's, like, very, like, Coen Brothers movies are very verbal, usually. Agreed, yeah. And I, I like that there is a scheme... And that it involves the cow. Yes. It's This and, is exciting. <laughs> and there's a lot of just cool nods to things in the movie, and it's filled with really good character actors, and um it's kind of a slow burn, but having seen some of her other older films, it's not as it's not quite as slow. Um like Meek's cutoff, uh, I was watching with Jill a couple week weekends ago because she was going through Reichardt's filmography, and I admittedly felt like it was one of those movies where like I fell asleep and then I woke up and then I fell asleep again. So uh, I did okay. not like, um, sorry. Oh no, go ahead. No, I was just going to say those can sometimes be hard to get through. Like you have to be in the right mood. Yeah. And I just, I happened to be really tired that day, but I slept enough where I did not log it on letterboxd. Um, 
But what I saw of it, I enjoyed. And I think if I had gotten to see it in the theater, it would have like held my attention a little bit more just because you're in the dark and, you know, it's, um, it, it's more immersive. Like I find her movies really put you in a time and place, which is really cool. So, um, you know, I don't know what, I don't know what's going on uh, in, in the world at the moment, but if you have the chance to see first cow or when you have the chance to see first cow, uh, you definitely should. Well, it's funny that you also picked a movie that I don't know when we air this episode, it either probably recently came out or is about to, but I picked a movie as well um, that recently came out. Never, rarely, sometimes, always. Mm. Um, so this, I, I actually caught this film at the Sundance Film Festival, and it really it, it knocked the wind out of me. Like it, it is a pretty heavy story, but I also think it's a necessary story. It, it tells the tale of a teenager that is basically traveling from the sticks of Pennsylvania to the Big Apple in order to obtain an abortion. And, you know, this, again, it's not, this film, like I was trying to describe it to my husband, Ben, it's not something that I'm going to want to revisit anytime soon, but I'm so glad that I watched it because I feel that stories like this are really important and they're even more important to be told by women. Um, yeah, no, the, I, uh, go ahead. I was going to say, I completely agree. I mean, there's uh, a line that is, I'm not sure if it's in the book or not, honestly, but it's in the, um, the recent little women adaptation. Okay. Um, that's like, you know, she's uh, Joe is talking about like writing, the, the book little women and she's like oh like it's not it's not like important you know it's not the kind of thing that people write books about and uh her sister is like well maybe it should be like maybe the things like maybe things seem important because people write about them but if people wrote about this it would also seem important and that's kind of how i feel about movies like this where you know it having uh you know a female voice and having these kinds of stories told like confers a kind of importance on them or at least prominence or at least like talking about things that we don't usually talk about. Yeah. And I think what really makes this movie work so well though, is the main actor, Sydney Flanagan. She is amazing. And right after I watched the movie, I had to look her up on IMDb and was shocked. This is her first feature. Um, And she does a wonderful job in a movie that, like I said, is extremely heavy and it does require a lot from the actor. So it's really impressive. I, and I can't stress this enough. I I really hope that people seek this out. I realize that there's a lot going on in the world at the moment, especially the timing of this release. I think it actually came out Friday, the 13th of March. So it's probably going to fly under a lot of people's radar right now, but it's definitely one maybe add it to your watch list when it does hit the digital platforms. Yeah, it's definitely one that I will be sure to see before I make my end of year list. Yeah. Um, so are you ready for this week's question? I'm ready if you're ready. All right, here we go. So we got a question, dear, I saw in a movie, I need help gaining confidence. 
Who is a good role model that can show me to stand up for myself? Regards, Mr. Insecure. Uh, do, do you want to start with your with your pick? I think we both had a similar sure. take on this on this question. Yeah. So, you know, in getting this question, I couldn't help but thinking about how I often have the feeling of imposter syndrome. And I know that this is something that we both have talked about before. And, you know, I hope you don't mind me sharing, but that we've both suffered from. Oh, no, absolutely. I mean, I think, again, it's it's definitely something that more people should talk about. But it's something that, you know, at least for me, it kind of comes and goes where, you know, especially in the role of uh, being a, like, professional, semi-professional film critic. Um, you know, you are a professional. Okay. See, this is exactly what we're talking you about. You are a writer. <laughs> you know, it's, it's still often sometimes I struggle to think of myself that way. Like, even though I've been doing it for a long time, I have some bona fides to my name. Um, but it all still sometimes just feels like something I do for me, which is not a bad thing, but it's nice to have, you know, when you, when that external validation comes along, it's, it is really nice to have that. Agreed. And for those that are not familiar with the term, because I will be honest, I just learned about this, this term, I would say last year in going to therapy, but it refers to the feeling that you're not good at anything. And then like the success that you do have is not deserved. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty crappy. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty awful. Um, and I think, you know, it's something that your brain kind of plays on your already existing anxiety and your already existing feelings of inadequacy. You know, yes. and, you know, I, I feel it strongly when it comes to the stuff I do about film, but like sometimes it happens in my, you know, nine to five day job as well. And sure, you know, in, in other parts of my life. So it's, you know, it's kind of a constant struggle to be able to get that reality check because it's easy for your brain, you know, to give yourself that sort of like delusion of feeling like you, you know, what you're doing doesn't matter. What you're doing, you know, isn't as good as it should be. Right. And I don't know, when I read this question from the listener, I just had to bring that up because reading the question, I just wanted them to know that I understand and I know what it feels like to just not, you know, feel confident, but then to, oh, I don't know if I'm articulating it correctly, but just feeling good about who you are. I guess. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, luckily, though, there is a movie to help. And the movie that I picked was the 2002 Steven Spielberg flick, Catch Me If You Can. Um, so I, I have to be upfront about this. I am not a huge Spielberg fan. I am not surprised to hear you say that. Um, <laughs> I think of the two of us, like I'm I, I like a lot of his movies. Uh, I think there's things that he does well that a lot of other people don't do. But I I understand where it comes from. But I'm I am I will say I'm not surprised, Rosalie, that you like this movie movie of his because I feel like of all of his movies, this feels like the most classic Hollywood uh, oh, that he's made. I absolutely adore this movie. I saw it in the theater three times. 
And once it, like I was tracking, like once it came out, I like bought it the day it came out. Like I, I, I loved this film and yeah, I, I think it is a lot different than some of the other things that he has made. And I will agree with you. He, when he makes a film, though, it's typically done very well. It's just not, I, it's just not things like, it's not my flavor, I guess. Right. Uh, I This is, I feel like this movie is sort of uh, right towards the beginning of what I'll call his dad movie era. <laughs> so this is which like... is another genre that i seem to love i, I like i i seriously like i cannot believe how many dad movies i like yeah i mean and as someone who has been a fan of dad movies since i was a child <laughs> um you know but this comes like after saving private ryan and you know uh less him doing stuff that that feels like it's trying to be prestige and you know, somewhat less of him doing stuff that's blockbustery like this, you know, I know it's based on a true story, um, you know, that, that, that we can talk about, but it, it definitely feels like, like I said, kind of the part of the beginning of his, of his dad movie period that goes all, all the way through like bridge of spies and the post. Yeah. And now he's going to soon, well, not soon. I mean, he's probably entering grandpa movie now, like, I feel like I don't know what he's working on next. Uh, so he has a movie coming out later this year. It is a remake of West Side Story. Oh, right. Oh, right. Oh, God. <laughs> and I have no idea how to feel about that, honestly. Because I, th- I think West Side Story is a very good movie. Uh, he's never made let's a musical just... before. so <laughs> Let's just say this. Not interested. I get it. Keep it. I don't want it. Like, I, I just, uh See? Now I'm on this road. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with Catch Me If You Can. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's pivot, pivot back to Tom Hanks and Leonardo DiCaprio. Yes. So Leonardo DiCaprio plays Frank Abagnale Jr., and he's a teenage runaway that committed millions of dollars worth of bank fraud by forging checks, and he poses as a Pan Am pilot, a doctor, and a lawyer. And he does all of this before he's 19. Classic overachiever. Yes. I mean, like, (laughs) what was I doing at 19? I was in college. That's so boring compared to this. This kid was, like, out forging checks and buying cars, houses. (laughs) Yeah, and it... It really plays into, you know, the the con man, which is short for confidence man. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, I, my favorite part of this is the Pan Am pilot stuff. Um, one, because the aesthetics of older airline and air travel is everything that I love from just a visual standpoint. Right. And uh, in watching the movie recently with Ben, we were discussing how different it was back then. Like pilots actually flew the plane. Right. Whereas now it's more like they're just driving a bus. Mm-hmm. Um, but pilots were very regarded very well back then. Highly regarded. Yeah, there was definitely a status that came with it. You know, I always think of the tracking shot of him walking through the airport with all of the uh, Pan Am flight attendants. Yes. That he hand-selected. Uh, yes. Um, and it's really, 
you know, it's, and it really, it, it's one of those where it's the, uh, he, Frank Agnew really follows the dress for the job that you want, not for the job that you have. Yes. And actually, this leads me into, so to me, he is an outrageously successful con man. Mm -hmm. And I really think it's because of his training. I mean, obviously, his dad, who is played by Christopher Walken, he's also like a shifty kind of guy. Like he, I feel like you could consider him a con man as well. Certainly. Um, so I feel Frank definitely learned a few tricks from his dad. But in watching the film again, you know, with this question in mind from the listener, I came up with an essential list of traits for someone hoping to flourish as a con man. Oh, so would you perfect. like to hear that? I would, would love like to hear them. Okay. So one, voices. You need to master accents and be able to change up your voice. Okay. Like, for example, like I feel when he goes to like he goes to investigate Pan Am and he meets I, I, I guess the guy's like an executive of some sort there. But he he poses as a kid writing an article for his student newspaper. Yes. yes so okay. in that situation, his voice is very childlike. But then when he wants to get the Pan Am uniform, he puts on like kind of this like southern accent like he's like an older southern gent calling and he's like oh i lost my uniform and i need to pick out a new one and it's like he knows like when the right place and i guess right time to use different voices to accomplish a goal yeah and i feel like he does really nail that like that voice that all pilots seem to have where like they're all from like yes. Texas somewhere, but the accent is like not too heavy. It's like just enough. It's very. It's weird. a pilot accent. Yeah. <laughs> it's yes, and then the second thing that I feel he does successfully are disguises, which is basically what you were talking about with his uniform. Like he doesn't settle for like a cheap Halloween like pilot costume. Mm -hmm. No, he gets like the real authentic thing because he wants to sell himself. Right. You know, and he has to it, it has to be believable. You know, it's it's that clothes make the man as well. It's uh you know, it's very much in looking looking the part is acting the part and you know, it's we talked about in our first episode about you know, clothing and how you like you can gain confidence through your clothes oh, yeah. because, you know, and so in this, he's like pulling double duty, getting like the confidence to act like a pilot and to be believed as a pilot. And you're right. Authenticity, I think, is a huge part of that believability. Right. Yeah. I, and And he knows that when he's wearing that uniform, it's like he transforms into a pilot. Mm hmm. Um, the third thing is research. And especially when you're trying to become something that you're not. And I love that his research consists of watching movies. Yes. <laughs> so like when Frank decides that he wants to become a doctor, he ends up watching old movies that feature medical professionals because that helps him learn the lingo. Mm -hmm. And he does the same thing when he decides that he wants to be a lawyer. Because 
watching these movies, then he like it helps him assimilate into the various professions. And I absolutely love that. Yeah, it's it's kind of like the like I'm not a doctor, but I played one on TV, but like reverse <laughs> yes. engineered. Um and I I really enjoy um you know, his again, like it it's all about sounding confident. It's if you believe in yourself, other people will believe in you. And that's the whole Correct. the whole game of the confidence man. Yeah, and also with his research, he does a really good job of talking to people. Um I love the scenes when he's in the bank and actually it's with Elizabeth Banks, but he's asking her, you know, and almost like very childlike, but, Oh, what are these banking numbers? Explain them to me. And the thing that he picks up on, which is just, I think, you know, especially as a young person to pick up on how much people love to talk about themselves, but then also explain things to you. Mm Mm-hmm. And he picks up on that. So that's how he learns like the importance of the routing numbers on a check, which can help him basically stay in the city longer because it takes so much time for the check to get from one location to another till they realize that it bounced. Right. Um, Research is definitely the key. Like he, I enjoy that he thinks like a con man, but also thinks like a journalist, you know, like, Oh yeah, you're right. Asking people questions, kind of interviewing people on the spot when they don't even realize they're being interviewed, because he's playing that. Oh, I'm just curious about this thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's great, and not to get a bit personal here, but I really felt seen in like watching him do research because more so when I watched this film again, it reminded me of myself in my day job because what I do in my day job, I never went to school for like I didn't have any formalized training so honestly when I first started out there was like so much that I didn't know but I would just secretly google things like I would literally google human resources and be like (laughs) what do they do yeah no it's um there's definitely been a lot of times where I have been able to appear much more knowledgeable than I am because of a quick use of google I feel like there's been a lot of times in my life, especially when it comes to technology, where people are like, oh, you're a person that knows things about Microsoft Excel. How do you do this? And I'll be like, give me a couple minutes and I'll figure it out. And then I'm Googling, how do you do this in in Excel? Right. I mean, You you, you may not know what you're talking about, but you can pretend. Like, you can get enough information to get by. Exactly. And and I'm doing somebody else a favor and I'm and I am learning something along the way. Yes, which one of my favorite quotes in Catch Me If You Can is when he says, An honest man has nothing to fear. I'm trying not to be afraid. Oh, that's so good. That's a great, great. quote. It's really great. I should put that on a throw pillow. <laughs> you should. <laughs> I yes, I should embroider it. Um Okay, so the fourth thing is you got to be a dabbler. And basically what I mean by this is you don't have to know a lot, but you just need to know enough, which is basically what we were just talking about. Like you just need enough to get by. Yeah, and and I definitely feel, I mean, this is really speaking my language because uh, I definitely consider myself a jack of all trades type where I know a lot. I know a little bit about a lot of things. 
Um, and I know a lot of things about some things, but um, having just acquired a lot of random knowledge or, you know, just thinking about things in a different way, it definitely, you know, people, I think when I was growing up, used to say like, oh, you want to be really well-rounded in your education. Mm-hmm. You know, like I think it's equally important to know how to, you know, cook a few basic meals as well as like change a tire on a car as well as, you know, knowing like, you know, who various presents were or whatever. And I think with knowledge being so easily acquired, like we were just talking about with Google, I think having just a bunch of random skills that you've picked up because you've tried different things uh, is really uh, the key to people thinking that you know a lot about, like that you know more than maybe you do, or, you know, are a person who is knowledgeable or a person who is a, you know, someone to ask questions to. Yes. And this can definitely be noticed, I feel, when he's impersonating the pilot, right? Because he doesn't need to know how to fly the plane. He just has to make or trick them into thinking that he does. And that's where paying attention to the way that, you know, the lingo they use, the pilot speak, it's how he gets by. Yes. And I think it's very important that he doesn't try to fly the plane because... Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> um, but I think that's... a. But I also think that's a good trait about him is that he's not being overconfident like he's finding that middle middle ground of i know enough to get by i know enough to put myself where i want to be but i'm not doing so much that then i'm taking on things that like are absolutely out of my um like that i really don't know about right out of his scope basically Mm -hmm. i yeah like him flying the plane is just going to end in disaster definitely not just for him for everyone. Right. You know, and he's like, all right, I need to know enough of uh, enough to be able to hitch a ride, but not so much that they're going to put me, you know, behind the behind in the cockpit. Right. And so those are, you know, four things that I had pulled out of the film. But you kind of hit it on the head when you said in the beginning, I mean, yes, this is a fun story about a real life con man, but it's just so wonderful to look at. And I love all the set design, the wardrobes, the characters. And I didn't even get to mention, but I'm going to now, the FBI agent that is chasing Frank during the movie is Carl Hanratty, and he's played by Tom Hanks. Yeah, and I really enjoy how, even though, like, so uh, Leo as Frank Abagnale has a real dad played by as we talked about before played by Christopher Walken but by the end of the movie his father figure is Hanratty yes agreed um and I just have to mention I love Christopher Walken I mean Christopher Walken is absolutely great so um I mean just with those three people and then you mentioned Elizabeth Banks before um, yes. This is the Amy also the, Adams. Yeah, that exactly. This is the first time. This is one of those first the first one of the first movies that I remember seeing when it was new and then going back to later and being like, "Oh, this person's now a huge star." And I had mm-hmm. no idea at the time. Yeah, and watching this movie again, I realized and I feel like I've said this to myself before, but I really need to go back and watch Walken's filmography. Because he is just bizarre. Like, and some of the things that he's been in, I feel are like there's some head scratchers in there, but 
he's made a lot of, I feel, bold choices. Definitely. And he's one of those people that I go back and forth as to whether or not they're like acting as a character or whether they're just kind of playing the persona. Like that's who they are. Yeah. I love the line in this in Catch Me If You Can when he's like, Frank, where are you going? Someplace exotic. <laughs> like he does not care that his son is committing fraud. He's just like so enthralled by it. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's the thing about the role that he has in this movie. Like it's rather small, but it leaves a lasting impact. Absolutely. Um, you know, and I think that the, um, so I, I also kind of went down the confidence man route with this question. Yeah. What did you pick? Uh, so I picked the 1973 movie, the sting. Oh um, my God. I love that movie. It's so great. Um, it's also a dad movie. It is very much a dad movie <laughs> and a dad movie I enjoyed from the first time I saw it when I was a lot younger. Um, so directed by George Roy Hill, it stars Paul Newman as Henry Gondorf, Robert Redford as Johnny Hooker, and Robert Shaw as Doyle Lonigan, which all amazing names all around. Agreed. Um, uh, so it's set in the 1930s and, um, Robert Redford's character, Hooker, basically he, like he's, he's a, he's a grifter, you know, they're kind of like street level con artists. Um, you know, pulling kind of quick scams and stuff. They have a particularly big score with his original partner who is then killed. And then, uh, so then Redford sets off to find Gondorf, who's more of this like kind of legendary con artist, if you will, um, so that they can get revenge over uh, Doyle Lonigan, who is ultimately responsible for Redford's uh, partner's death. And so, oh, go ahead. No, I, it's basically like just a bunch of con men coming together to pull the ultimate con. (laughs) Exactly. It's, it's kind of an Ocean's Eleven in between the original Ocean's Eleven and the later Ocean's Eleven. Um, But why I picked this movie in particular is that I think this, you know, sort of like Catch Me If You Can really shows con men at their best because there's a couple times where, you know, they bluff um so they paul newman bluffs his way into uh lot against poker game when they're on a train okay and then he has to convince lonigan that he is a better card player than he is but they're both also cheating but they can't acknowledge that they're cheating so really i mean are either of them actually good and yeah it depends on your definition of good (laughs) um you know, are you a good card player or are you just a good cheat is definitely something that goes kind of goes back and forth. And then Redford, like, basically pretends to be a disgruntled, um, like, associate of uh, Paul Newman's to try to get in with uh, Lonigan so that they can, like, start this other con that they're, that, that they're working on. And meanwhile, Lonigan's people are trying to find Robert Redford and kill him, even though he's right in front of him the whole time. He doesn't see it because Redford is so convincing in his role as Kelly. So this whole movie, like like you said, is cons within cons and plans within plans. But it really does involve a lot of actual confidence to pull off and playing different roles and, you know, kind of switching in and out of those roles at will. Yes. And it's also too, you have to be confident in the people you're working with. 
as well as having confidence in yourself because like you said it there is like plans upon plans and if one person you know messes up or falls apart it could blow the whole thing yeah absolutely and you know um i, I was reading some reviews of this thing that from you know, the 1973 when it came out. And so Vincent okay. Canby of the New York Times also said that it's a con game, um, like, on the audience, basically. That, like, we don't even realize the full story that we're watching until the end. Um, and, you know, I don't, I don't want to go full-on spoilers, but, like, there's plans within plans, and then there are people who know some, but not all of the plan uh at different points in time and like yes i remember that and it has been a while since i watched this movie but yeah i think that you know they do that purposely because again it's going back to that just giving people enough information yeah because if you give them all of the plan you know then there's the likelihood that you know something could get messed up yeah and, and you know Paul Newman and Robert Redford are some of the all-time great, just, like, you want to talk about movie stars? And so seeing them on screen, and especially together, they have such great chemistry that, like, it doesn't matter what the story is. And I think I think that's part of the con, is that you're so enraptured by watching these two guys who are, you know, I think, like Frank, they're criminals, but they're criminals who don't ever want to hurt people or, like, you know, trick people who don't really deserve it. Like, that's another kind of way that the movie kind of allows us to be in this world and having a good time with it is we just really like, I don't know. I find myself so taken by them uh, whenever I watch this. Well, they're totally likable. And I think it's because, you know, to your point, they're not violent people. You know, they, they enjoy tricking people, but also the person they're tricking deserves that. Totally. So, so, you know, it's like, that's the other reason that you don't mind that they're, doing you know performing these schemes because it's not like they're out taking advantage of a little old lady right yeah they're taking advantage of someone who's frankly a bastard <laughs> right so it's like <laughs> that's fine you know whereas i think again if if you saw them taking advantage of somebody innocent or naive like you'd feel bad exactly you know and this movie also takes place during the height of the great depression um, you know, so that it, it was kind of a desperate times, desperate measures kind of thing, um, you know, in, in general. But I think that also adds to the fun nature of the movie because, you know, again, like it, it's a period piece of so the, the costumes are really incredible. The music, which is like interesting that the movie takes place in the 30s, but the soundtrack is mostly uh, songs from like the 1870s and 1890s. Okay. Uh, like the entertainer, uh, like the uh, dun, 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 like is used yes. throughout the movie, and it's again like it, it adds to that sense of fun and kind of breeziness where uh, you don't even realize, you know, the things that are being set up in front of you. Like it's the kind of movie that you go back and watch a second time, and you're like, oh, I never noticed that, and I never noticed that because you're just so taken by the story and the the acting. Yeah, I mean, there's and there's a lot going on. So it's definitely one of those movies. It does not hurt to rewatch it. Yeah, and and you know the other lesson kind of for confidence I want to pull out is is to trust your instincts because there's a few times in the movie where they have to make hard choices that are going to impact the success of these various cons that they're pulling. 
And it really comes down to trusting your own instincts. And like you said, Rosalie, trusting the people that you work with that, you know, they're going to be able to follow along and improvise and, you know, they're not going to mess up their, their part in this whole thing. Yeah, you do have to, especially I feel with a con, especially the size that they pull off, you have to be prepared that things are going to go wrong. So sometimes you have to go with your gut feeling, to your point, your instinct on, all right, I'm just going to go with it. Because, you know, if you don't, if you're not able to make a decision quickly like that, it could, it could cause the whole thing to go up in flames. Yeah. And they definitely also have a lot of, like you said, kind of backup plans as well. Like, you know, they have it pre pre agree that, okay, if this other thing happens, then we're going to pull it this this. way, you know? So it's that fine balance between planning and improvisation. I think that, you know, both of these con artists in these movies really tap into. Agreed. Um, If you don't mind, I wanted to go back to catch me if you can for one second. Oh, sure. It has nothing to do with the question, by the way, (laughs) but it was just something that I wanted people to know. I love that Frank's dad owns a stationery store. Like, do you remember that? I do remember. It's been it's been a couple of years since I watched it, but that that does that does sound familiar. I do enjoy stationery stores in general. Yeah, I well, frankly, I forgot about it, too like until I was watching it again. And then now I'm in a pencil club, which you may not know that. I did not know that. Tell me yes. more about the pencil club. Every quarter I get a shipment of pencils and they come from all over the world and it is thrilling. <laughs> <laughs> that is cool. I And then at the end of the year, because I've been in the club now for two years um, and I and I use the pencils, like I use them at work. But every at the end of the year, you get a patch, a pencil club patch. And it's just very exciting to me. And I had to mention that. Um, but this store, I, I wish I could go into his father's store because it just looks awesome. Not as all. <laughs> um, I mean, people may not know this, but uh, George Lucas's father owned a stationery store. Uh, really? And that was the business that he was like, I am not doing that. I need to do something else with my life. <laughs> <laughs> so he would not be in a pencil club. He would not be in a pencil club. Well, that's another reason I probably won't get into Star Wars. Well, that's okay. But I thought that was also an <laughs> just an interesting connection as well. Um, so did you have any weird things you wanted to talk about about the sting before we sign off here? Um, I did want to just mention that I always enjoy, and I don't, I really don't have a good reason or understanding why it's in the movie, but there's the first scene where, uh, Hooker meets, uh, Gondorf. There's a giant carousel inside this like warehouse. Oh, right. Yeah. I have no idea why it's in the movie, but I love that it's there because it's just such an interesting it's just an interesting and great choice that makes the movie feel yeah, a little but it's weirder. Like, why? No, no, I do too. But I agree. Like, why there? Why a carousel? And I, I just, I mean, it, it's kind of a life goal thing. But I really enjoy that. Like, he, I think he, I think Gondorf lives above it, and I would love to be the person who lives above some kind of weird thing, like a movie theater. Right. Yep. Like a movie that theater. Would... That would be cool. That would be very cool. All right. So I I think, yeah, 
I don't really think I have any other weird things to mention. If you can, <laughs> like oddities. So I guess before we sign off, um, don't forget you can find a breakdown and download the episodes at moviejohn.com. Just go under MJ Podcasts. And you can also subscribe to our quarterly print zine. Our next issue features jetpacks, flying cars, and robots. That's right, the future. So make sure you subscribe to find a copy in your mailbox. You can also follow us on social media. We are on Twitter at I Saw It In A Movie. And you, if you're seeking advice, you can either contact us through Twitter or send us a question at dearisawitinamovie at gmail.com. And for those that enjoy snail mail, um, you can send us a postcard or a letter with your question to P.O. Box 20172, Philadelphia, PA, 19145, Attention, Movie John. So, Ryan, where can people find you at? Sure. Uh, you can find my writing uh, occasionally in Movie John uh, and also at cinema76.com. And you can also find me hosting uh, my other movie podcast, The Shame Files podcast that I do with Jill, where we watch uh, movies that we haven't seen that we should have. Uh, and you can also find my Formula One podcast uh, with our yes. friend Ian Kimball called F Yeah F1. Yeah, and that just started. It did just start uh, because the Formula One season just kind of started. But there's there's been issues with the uh, the thing that's been going on. Oh, yeah. Well, I, too, have another podcast. If you're interested in old films, I, I have a podcast called Cinematic Crypt in which I dissect um, basically films only with people that are now no longer among us so you can check that out if you're interested in watching old flicks yeah i i would recommend it it's a great relaxing listen for sure thank you and i also would recommend shame files i i love listening to you and jill you're you're both so great (laughs) thank you (laughs) so did you have a piece of advice from the sting i did um so it's from henry gondorf which is um paul newman's character he says you have to keep this con even after you take his money he can't know that you took him and what i love about that is it really just shows that the con never ends (laughs) Um, ends. you you can't let them you know see peek behind the curtain you always have to keep like whatever you've uh been doing whatever confidence you build up you have to keep keep building it up. You can't, uh, you, you know, you can't break that. Right. I mean, it's kind of like in Wizard of Oz, like when they see the man behind the curtain and then they're just like, oh, it's just this little old man. <laughs> yeah. We're afraid of a little old man. You want to talk about imposter syndrome, but the Wizard of Oz, great example. Agreed. Um, well, I also have a piece of advice and mine is compliments of Carl Hanratty. Um, Tom Hanks character and he says sometimes it's easier living the lie and (laughs) I feel that this again I connected with because really who wants reality it is a dumpster fire it's true and that's why we have the movies exactly like I'd rather live in the movies and just forget about the world I completely agree I could not agree more in fact 
So we really thank everyone for listening. And until next time, remember, for every question, there is a movie with the answer. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.